Before he leaves to this podcast, Marcus wants to share the following Wellness Summit blooper with you. Damo, this is ridiculous. When we recently closed two-for-one ticket sales to the summit, we left the two-for-one banner on our website saying, get your two-for-one tickets. How do you think that's gone down with our loyal listeners? People are jumping online to buy two-for-one tickets, but our system has shut them down. Oh dear, Marcus. So let's do this, MP. As our way to thank our listeners for their patience and to apologize for our feeble technology troubles, let's release 100 more seats at two-for-one. Let's do 50 double passes at the two-for-one rate. But Damo, we were just about to raise the price by 50 bucks a ticket. I know, MP, but I'm pulling rank. For one week only, Wellness Council listeners, you have one more chance to come to the summit at half price. Two days at the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre on September 10 and 11. That's 16 hours of powerhouse wellness at less than $10 per hour. You're so generous, Damo. This offer strictly expires at 11.59pm on Sunday, May 8th, so don't delay. To register for one of only 50 double passes, go to thewellnesssummit.com. wellnesscouch.com streaming wellness into your lives welcome to back chat exploring the five pillars of health with dr paul bergamo and dr anthony coxon welcome to back chat my name is paul bergamo and it's great to be here in our next podcast back chat is about being your best it does this by exploring the five pillars of health It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in neurology. Today, we're going to explore the health pillar of being your best with your eating. To help me once more, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow chiropractor and co-host, Dr. Anthony Coxon. Hey, Anthony, how are you going? G'day, Paul. I tell you, you know you've got, uh, you're interviewing great talent when you just can't get enough of them. And, you know, we we, we finished off our last podcast with uh, Dr. Damien Christoph and I don't know, the list of questions that I had to ask him was just barely been touched at all. So we just had to get him back. That's right, we did. And just for those who don't know Damien, I'm not sure if anyone doesn't know Damien, but uh, Damien's a nutritionist, naturopath and chiropractor with over 20 years of experience. And amongst his many roles in the media on TV and radio, he's also done a few podcasts. Just a few, yeah. He's done over 250 on The Wellness Guys as the co-founder and co-presenter on that show, as well as 150 or so on uh, 100 Night Out with Marcus Pierce. So between them, per year, there's a contribution of over 2.4 million downloads. That's a lot of people listening in, isn't it? How many are we doing a back chat? Are we... Take a zero off that, and uh, maybe even a couple. I was going to say, just once you... Well, we said last year, you know, we're, we're interviewing Yoda... You're where right. I'm Luke, you're Leia. Is that did we establish that? <laughs> well, hang on, Leia. What's going on with that? Right? All right, you can, you can be Han Solo then. Right, okay. so there you go. Let's just move along and introduce Damien. How are you going, Damien? Going great, guys. Great to be back. Thanks so much for having me on again. I know I do ramble, I go on a bit, but uh, they're important questions. What you asked me last time, they're important. It's, it's good to get it out there. And maybe we were hanging on every word last time, so let's just get straight into it because we know you've got so much great information to uh, offer us, and we've got uh, some great questions, I'm hoping, for you to, to enlighten us with. So let's start off. We, we, we finished with uh, a fluid last time. Let's start off with a fluid this time, and let's talk tea and coffee. Are they good? for me you know all those antioxidants you know that uh, uh that that advertisers talk about it should we be drinking coffee and tea 
Well, I love that question, Anthony. Are they good for me? And the reason why I love that question is because what are you measuring? Like, I want to know what people are measuring. You know, is it uh, something that they're measuring with regards to an enhancement in their performance or is it something they're in, in, you know, measuring in, in terms of enhancement of their health or reduction in their cholesterol or what's the measurement? How do, how do we define what is good for somebody? Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to, I actually wrote a, a, an article for a magazine when I was in New Zealand singing the praises of coffee. And the reason why I did that is because I really enjoy coffee. Now, as you know, you can stack the research in your favor for anything. Yeah. And there's so much great research out there that supports and, and, and espouses the benefits of drinking coffee um, and having caffeine in your diet. Now, that can equally be balanced up with the science and the research against it. You know, so people go, well, you know, it's bad for you and it causes calcium leaching from the bones and it diverts blood from the gastrointestinal system so it's going to muck up your digestion and it overstimulates the sympathetic nervous system, and the sympath- you know, and, and so all of a sudden it becomes sympathetic dominant and parasympathetic depleted and so on and so forth. And so there's the two, there's the to and the fro and the pros and the cons and it often comes down to um, whether or not you can metabolise caffeine. And uh, because the antioxidants and the polyphenols and um, and all of the, the different chemicals that are inside tea and coffee that are of benefit to humans, that that's all fine. But the ability to break down caffeine um, can be the challenge for people. And that, that comes down to a genetic thing. So is that the person who finds that, you know, if they have a coffee and they, they've got the jitters all day, there's, I'm assuming this is someone who's not metabolizing their caffeine too well? Yeah, they're called slow metabolizers. They can struggle with it, and they they probably should limit their intake of caffeine, probably to one cup of a caffeinated beverage a day. Now, I prefer that people are drinking a naturally caffeinated beverage, so I'm talking something like coffee or tea. Um, definitely not talking about one of those green things or one of those red things or one of those black things, you know, yeah, any yeah. of those sorts of things I wouldn't suggest. But um, certainly... Uh, something that you add water to to um, to liberate the caffeine and the flavour, then I think that's that's fine. Um, the key thing is that that shouldn't replace your water intake. And like we said, I think in the last episode, the very last point, we, we mentioned that you, you need to drink enough water and then anything else that you drink um, should be a bonus. So, Paul, you're a coffee drinker, tea drinker? I'm Italian. You're a tea man. I'm Italian. Oh, you're Italian, of course. Oh, God. You, yeah. shocked, you shocked me with thinking that you're a team. Oh, I just didn't, th- didn't think that at all. Anthony, please. <laughs> next, to, next to Paul saying, I'm a chiropractor, whenever he says Oma, it's always going to be Italian. That's right. right. He, he drops it now and then. He slips sure. his cycling. I slip my Italian in. You know, that's about it. That's it. All right. So, so you have, what's, your, what's your coffee day? How well, look, I have one in the morning. Yeah. So when I get up at five, I have a coffee to get me going. But uh, And then I'd probably have one at the middle of the day, but that'll be it. Yeah, I, I reckon I'm, I'm a max one a day. One, middle of the day suits me well, maybe a little bit of postprandial pickup, you know, to make right. me sort of feel good for the afternoon. Uh, but I, I certainly know that maybe I might be one of those slow metabolizers, Damien, because I reckon if I have more than one a day, I just don't feel so good, especially okay. if I've got a busy day. Uh, I kind of okay. feel like I'm already, you know, yeah, all up go, and yeah, going. That sympathetic system's yep, already yep, fired yep. up, and that just pushes me over the okay. edge, just that little extra. And whereas I know people who take, you know, five, six, maybe that's a little bit too much, but uh, they're obviously faster metabolizers. But, I mean, Damien, you know, we can talk about thresholds. I mean, we've got individual thresholds for probably all food substances and, um, you know, I suppose stimulants as well. Would, would be that a situation where perhaps uh, in the case of Anthony there, two would just take it over threshold and then uh, alter alter his neurological system? Oh, look, definitely. And look, people's thresholds are set at different levels. And I think people graduated, you know, I think that 
PB, you probably would have had coffee for breakfast with your rice bubbles when you were little, you know. So <laughs> the Italians have often served coffee for, to their children. I was always told that I couldn't drink coffee until I was 16, maybe 18, I think it was, and mm. because I wasn't able to do it. But my mates who are Italian, I grew up in Dandenong in Melbourne, Australia, and most of my mates were Italian, and they were having coffee almost, you know, in the bottle. That's right. Um, if it wasn't from the breast. So they've been <laughs> for a long time. You know? um, but for, you know, the Caucasians like Anthony and I, we haven't had access to caffeine to the same extent. You know, no. our parents probably got exposed to you know gumbrick tea and had a little bit of milk with that, and, and that's that's the exposure to caffeine that they had. So, but genetically, um, there's there's the ability to clear it, but there's also um, the individual sensitivity to it. So we saw when Anthony mentioned that he had a little sip of Coca Cola to get up Mount Hotham. Um, he responded very, very quickly. He had an adrenal rush, plus, uh, uh, so his caffeine hit caused an adrenal rush, and he had the sugar. So he was able to get going again. He's very, very sensitive in his digestive system. And, uh, and for me, that just wouldn't cut it. Like a little sip of Coca Cola or one coffee wouldn't really stimulate me to get me going. I'll, you know, I get overstimulated from caffeine. When, when I hit a, a much higher threshold. So for me, it's four, five, or six cups of coffee a day. Um, and I very, 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 in fact, I've never got to six. Um, I might have got to five once, and I've been at four a few times. But three is my absolute max generally. Um, but, you know, gen- most days it's one or two. So, and on that note, what about deca- uh, caffeinated, uh, decaffeinated coffee? Is that a good, bad, or are there different forms that are higher quality? That's a great question. A lot of people think that when they're drinking decaffeinated coffee, they're actually not getting any caffeine at all. But really, it's just under-caffeinated. So it's, there's not as much caffeine in that particular product as there used to be. If you're taking caffeine out, unless you're doing it chemically, um, you're going to lose a lot of the flavor. So you might only reduce the caffeine by, say, 10 or 15%, and you can call that decaffeinated. So you're kind of having – it's like saying it's low-fat when um, – it's 99% fat free versus full fat, which is 96% fat free. Yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not that much different to have. You can't just get a little fright with yeah. the nervous system. You, you either get a fright or you don't get a fright uh, with the nervous system. Same as caffeine, you either get a little bit of caffeine. You don't get a little bit of caffeine and then a lot of caffeine. The caffeine actually has an effect on the body. So I reckon it's a waste of time going for decaffeinated. Just drink the real stuff. Yeah, or maybe if you need to, just uh, you know, have a slightly weaker coffee. Don't weaker. don't go don't go for the double uh, shots. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, That's you, right. you confuse all these baristas, don't you, with these orders? You know, they've got all <laughs> exactly. these. Uh, all I these... they just do the same thing for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The person has it and doesn't comply. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. You know, three quarter. Half-strength, yeah. skinny, decaf. Sort that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, how does that person measure that and go, mm, that's still one-third too weak or something, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. okay, <laughs> can I have another one, please? I mean, seriously, I don't that's know. Right. We're exactly a bit, right. Perhaps a bit precious. Now, if we move on to a new uh, food substance and talk about fish, and you talked in our previous podcast, uh, number 21, on omega-3s and the importance of omega-3s. Yeah. But can you contextualise to where... There is concerns with uh, mercury contamination in fish and potential problems with uh, different fish sources. So can you just, for our lay audience, uh, educate us on uh, the pros and cons with fish? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think just generally, you know, in a broad sense, I just want to say that fish is really good for our bodies. It's really good. Um, And the colder the fish, the colder the water fish, uh, the better it is because the cold water fish actually have to, they've got to adapt, and so the way in which they adapt is by storing 
um, more fat in their in their skin and more fat in their muscle layers, and that's the omega three fatty acids that we talk about. And we get access to that through eating those fish. The challenge that we face is that many of these fish that come from deep water um, have been overfished, and the population levels are low, so they're now being farm fished. And uh, and many of these these fish are, are fed you know pellets or ground up dead fish from uh, from the fish that died in the other tank. And, and as a result, the quality of the fish that we're getting is very, very different. In fact, the omega-3 levels in our farmed salmon is, is many, many, many times less than what the, you know, the wild-caught alternative would have been if we were still able to get access to that. In saying that, um, the, the, probably the biggest concern that people uh, are worried about or anxious about is the mercury in fish. And um, that comes more from tuna, it comes from you know, salmon, um, mackerel as well, so the tin fish. There's concern around the way in which these, these fish are actually prepared. But because they're um, higher up the food chain, they tend to eat the fish that you know, have scavenged from the bottom of the ocean, um, crustaceans and prawns and, um, and other um, shellfish that have scavenged up all the heavy metals that have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And you know, part of becoming industrialised is that um, a lot of the, the wastes that um, industry have used gets pumped out into the ocean and, and, and our sea life are eating it. And then the higher up the food chain that you go, um, the more that they get to actually consume it. So, and then we consume it. So there is definitely a concern around mercury. Um, it's wise to continue to eat fish, uh, but I would, I would mix the fish up. So I'd have salmon, yep, I'd have mackerel as well, but I'd also have some snapper and have some ling and have some gurnard and terrakey and, and other types of fish. Just don't eat one type of fish all the time. And what about fish versus fish oil, say supplement-wise, Damien? What do you think? Yeah, well, look, most of our fish oil is coming from farm sources these days. So, you know, and everything's being ultra-purified and ultra-filtered, and that's a great thing. Now, there are people out there that say that it's an innate thing to have fish oil in the the fashion that it was when it was inside the fish. In other words, you know, 30%, 180 and 120 in terms of the omega-3 fatty acid ratios of DHA and EPA. But my thing is that as soon as you're extracting one part of a product out of another part or out of another thing, for example, we're saying we're taking fish oil out of fish, it's now no longer natural. You're actually using the oil to behave like a drug. Mm. And, and the fish oil should now then be standardised, purified and, uh, and be made to a standard so that it's actually effective. And the most effective way to have fish oil is with higher concentrations of EPA and DHA. And so when you're having a 1,000 milligram capsule of it, you want at least 50% of the oil to be omega EPA or DHA, not 30%. Because mm. if it's 30%, it's going to be you know, easy to go rancid. Um, it's less filtrated. It hasn't been standardized. Um, it's highly likely to be relatively ordinary oil. Um, the 30% extracts of fish oil are cheap and nasty. And the greater the extract of the EPA DHA in the fish oil, is, it generally reflects the, the higher the quality of the oil and usually more expensive too. And, and I suppose the, for the consumer, it is back to that value and price. Do you think from when they're looking to purchase, they're going to find that with more expensive products of fish oils? Because there are, there are many cheap options. Yeah, there's so many cheap options. You get a thousand for like ten bucks these days. The thousand capsules for ten dollars from the local pharmacy. You know, particularly that uh, the that warehouse one, the big yellow one that sells everything for next to nix. Um, that that particular place will sell fish oil if it fell off the bucket back of a truck. And um, and the challenge with that is that it's not 
often the best quality stuff. And the best quality stuff is always going to be more expensive. When it comes to nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals, it, it, the more expensive it is generally, the more uh, refined and precise it actually is. And that's what you want. When you're taking numbers, when you're actually putting numbers into your body, so omega-3 is a number, fish is a food, um, the vitamin B is a number, mushrooms are the food. You know, when you're having the food in your body, you can have as much as you like. When you're having the numbers, you've got to get the best quality you can possibly put into yeah. your body because it should have been in the food in the first place. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I heard this quote not so long ago, which I thought uh, I would put past you, and it was, uh, eat real food, not too much, and mostly vegetable. Do we eat too much meat? I think some people do. I think with the trendiness of paleo, I think a lot of people consume too much meat because they thought that, well, that's the way to go. They did the same thing with Atkins. Um, they've done the same thing with keto. They've done the same thing with high-fat, low-carb eating programs. Um, I think the the desire to consume animal-based protein um, in large amounts is definitely challenging. Does it cause cancer more than anything else? Maybe not, but maybe. You know, there was a study that came out the other day that said that vegans are more likely to get colorectal cancer than people that aren't vegan. Um, but then the, the vegans will say, well, you know, if you eat red meat, then you're more likely to get colorectal cancer than a vegan. But there's... Mm. There's always, you know, research pros and cons. I definitely think that we do consume too much animal-based protein and that we can definitely eat a lot more fruits and vegetables. Um, and also just in terms of, uh, Paul, the, uh, the effect on planet Earth, you know, the, our, obviously the carbon footprint to, to get a plate of, you know, a big steak on your, uh, on your bowl, in your, on your plate rather, is certainly far significant than, you know, growing some uh, fruit and vegetables and, and, and consuming those instead. So that's probably another thing, another thought that's very important. The uh, paddock to plate concept. Yeah. yeah. Get that. Actually, fork over knife. Excellent. Yes. Now, the the GM argument, I mean, that could be something with genetic modification and uh, foods, Damien. I mean, that's probably a podcast and a half, and I'm sure you've spoken about it in your <laughs> podcast as well. But, yeah. again, you know, the hot spots on that one for our, for our lay audience, pros and cons, and, um, you know, is, is it something that we should be, be more vigilant about, I suppose? The, the, there's so much evidence lacking in this particular argument, there's there's not enough longitudinal studies to be able to determine whether or not having genetically modified food is really bad for us. There's definitely evidence that says that it should be bad for us, and there's evidence that people say, "Well, don't worry, worry about it. It's actually not that bad. All we've done is we've just taken out this particular protein and we've added it with this one or whatever, you know." But I'm one that embraces nature and and natural things. So that when a scientist gets involved in my meals, um, I'm a little bit concerned about it. Mm. And, you know, if a plant can um, repel pests and, and weeds and all that and it's built into it, then I can only imagine what eating that plant protein or those plants could actually do to my body in terms of the microbiome where there's bacteria that will be, you know, sensitive to um, pesticides and sensitive to herbicides that are inside my body and bacteria govern the function of my body largely. So I am very concerned about GM food. Fortunately, in Australia, we don't have much. We get, um, I think we get exposed to what, two or three genetically modified foods. That's about all. So it's, we, we don't have to worry too much about it like they do in the United States. But I would be very wary and very careful of GM. So what are the, the foods, the GM foods that Australians get exposed to, Damon? Um. I knew you were going to ask me that. I think what we've got over here at the moment is corn. That's GM. Mm, 
Yep. Um, and soy is yeah. we get access to soy or GM soy. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that's GM over here. I know there was um, you know talk about bringing over genetically modified um, animals, but I'm pretty sure that actually hasn't happened yet. So I don't think there's any other crops that are GM. I'm not sure if canola was, but I could be wrong. Oh, canola, yeah, as an oil, yeah, for sure. But, I, yeah, I, I, that could indeed be. Well, we definitely know yeah. that it is. It's, it's definitely a modified form of rapeseed. And, uh, and so that you're right there, Paul. You're right. It is one of those things. We, we sort yeah. of touched on this last time about um, when people think or the focus is more on the micronutrient rather than yeah. the food. Uh, and I think you, you can't really go wrong by just going natural, can you? I love what Damien said about a scientist getting involved with my food. Yeah. Isn't that isn't – that, that's brilliant because yep. at the end of the day, you know, what he's saying is he's telling our listeners on back chat, you know, just get back to some, some simplicity. Okay, if we've got a scientist in his white coat going through trying to um, work out chemical constitutions of things we've got to add and subtract and all the rest, it, it's, it's just mucking around with the simple things, isn't it yep. really? I think that's a really nice analogy, Damien. I like that. Uh, thanks, mate. It's the health by numbers thing. I'm I'm cautious of health by numbers. I much prefer to do it with um, you know the sum of the sum of the parts isn't equal to the whole. Now we've talked a lot about food. Uh, let's talk a bit about food preparation. Um, this is obviously <laughs> something that's really important. We might have this you know delicious, organic, beautiful food that we could be completely spoiling if we're preparing it in the wrong way. So uh, microwave, good or bad? Barbecue, does it cause cancer? You know, cooking in oil. Where, where, Let's give us some of the lowdown on how we should and shouldn't be preparing our foods. Look, microwaves have always been contentious. Um, I think most people know that it's not safe to cook in a microwave. If if the health authorities say never put breast milk into a microwave to feed your baby, that tells me that something bad happens to it. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> and 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 when they say that, and they say, look, don't ever put breast milk into into a microwave. I, I know that it's not because of the temperature issue. It's for some other reason. Yeah. Um, and so that, to me, just rings bells. But there's there's always been, you know, if you understand how microwaves actually work, they work by um, shaking the particles inside of, of food so fast that uh, the friction actually causes the heat. It's very, very different to convection heating, which is pushing heat through um, an item, which actually speeds up the movement of things, but not through friction. It's just through heat liberation. So it's, very, it's really very, very different in the way in which... Um, you know, the food is actually heated. I find it fascinating that people actually go out and they buy all this organic produce. They'll cook it and they'll then store the excess in the fridge. They'll take it to work um, in a plastic container and then whack it in the microwave the next day. Yeah. Um, I find that a classic. You know, it's really, you want to, if you're going to have organic food, you shouldn't be reheating it in plastic in the microwave. You definitely shouldn't be doing that. And just, you know, you, you don't even have to reheat things sometimes. You can pour hot water over it and just stir that around and then it'll heat it up for you a little bit. And what about the uh, if we're frying? You know, what, what temperature does an does an oil become damaged and then become potentially you know harmful as opposed to healthful for us? Yeah, well, that's a whole podcast. I did a webinar on that, Anthony, um, a couple of weeks ago uh, called um, "Which Fat When," um, and Marcus Pierce and Joe Whitten and I um, put that on, and uh, that that explored all of. All of the detail in it, that went for about 90 minutes. So I could go for 90 minutes in this podcast, but we might have come <laughs> well, for a few more weeks. Yeah. But essentially, um, olive oil uh, is a polyunsaturated fat, which when you heat to a, a higher level, um, when, when you get it over 175 degrees, I think it is, it starts to burn smoke. Coconut oil 
is a saturated fat which when you heat it over um, 165 degrees it starts to burn and smoke um, but butter um, can get up to 180 degrees before it starts to you know smoke and, and burn um, th- there's my thing is that it's very, very difficult to control the heat surface or the surface heat of a pan. And mm. the surface heat of a pan can get up to 300 degrees. And when you're whacking oil onto the, onto a surface of a pan, that oil can heat up very, very quickly and burn. And it's at the point of smoking that it becomes very, very bad for you. Right. And you shouldn't have it. You, re- you really – smoking's bad at all times, whether you're smoking cigarettes or you're smoking oil. It's always bad. We know that. So it's, it's worth not having your oil – reach its smoke point. My suggestion for cooking is if you're going to use oil, use the, the gas on the lowest burner. So you don't need to get the, the oil cranking super bubbly hot. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, and then put the food on the oil when the oil is cold so that as the oil heats up and it starts to crackle, you can turn it off the gas so it actually never gets the chance to burn. Mm. But if you're going to cook with high heat and you want to do it, and you want to cook food really, really fast, use water. Water will stop food from sticking. And particularly if you're going to cook with meat, you know, put the water on the high, on the very hot pan, put the meat on it, and then, um, and then once the oil starts to become liberated, it will lift the, the meat off the pan, the chicken off the pan. Then you can flip it, put some more water, da, da, more water down, and it won't stick. And you'll liberate all those flavors. The fat comes out of the meat. And, uh, and it, it makes it taste beautiful. Then, once you put it on your plate, put the oil on top of that. It's way better. Right. That's a great idea because I, I was actually – I'm glad you um, added that last <laughs> bit at the end because I actually have tried since I heard you mention about uh, using water and I've, I've cooked a steak like that and it cooked beautifully, seared perfectly, but it just had something that wasn't there and I reckon just a, you just oil. needed a bit – needed a little bit of that oil <laughs> in yeah. its good form, in, that, in, a, in a cold form or a room temperature form, uh, just to give it that, you know, that – Piece de resistance. Mm, a bit of report. Totally. If you like coconut oil, like I know that people are hell bent on having coconut oil because it's paleo, but I, I think that you know if you like coconut oil, spread coconut oil on your steak after it's been cooked. Right. Then you yeah. Get the benefit of the coconut oil. Um, if you're going to get benefit from coconut oil, because some people will, some people won't, and then you're having that on your steak, and that's a much nicer way to have it than actually you know cooking it. Fantastic. Excellent. So, Damien, uh, the next one, and we're getting towards the end of the podcast. So. Uh, Butter versus margarine. Have our, have our scientists got involved again too much in, in this arena as well, do you think? Uh, undoubtedly. Margarine used to be a prescribed medical food. Um, and so originally margarine was something that you'd receive a prescription for because you're trying to decrease your cholesterol or your fat levels in your blood and uh, or the saturated fat levels in your blood. And so they thought that if they prescribed you a margarine, which was rich in polyunsaturated fat, that that would be a great way to do it. Um, and so margarine actually used to have to contain at least 70% polyunsaturated fat. And it couldn't contain any more than 20% saturated fat. That's what margarine used to be. Um, but it was expensive to manufacture and expensive to keep. And so when the scientists realised that and the food industry realised that this was actually a spreadable product that people could actually buy from the supermarkets and that they could take it away from medicine and not have it prescribed anymore, they, they invented something called trans fat. And, uh, and trans fat was basically the hydrogenated uh, forms of polyunsaturated fat, which made it very, very cheap, um, but also at the same time very, very nasty and very, very dangerous and it's been linked to diabetes and cancer. And so in Australia, trans fat now is pretty much banned, like you don't find it. So now what we use in Australia in our margarine is something called interesterified fatty acids. And interesterified fatty acids, uh, we're really confused about it. We don't really know. The, the jury is definitely out and we're not too sure if it's going to be good or bad. The one thing that I do know is that butter is 
saturated fat. And our body deals well with saturated fat. We, we only absorb about 30% of the saturated fat that actually goes into our digestive system. And, um, and we do quite well with it on the whole. There are some people that do very, very poorly with saturated fat. Uh, and, and those people can increase their cholesterol from actually having um, saturated fat. But, you know, again, that's a genetic thing. That's a genetic decision. So you can get your genes tested to find out more about that. I would suggest that butter is definitely better for you than margarine. However, I would say that avocado trumps both of them. Mm, yeah, and is absolutely delicious, I might must say. You know, when, it, when we come to um, uh, these sorts of conversations, a lot of the science has gone into those, you know, micronutrients Instead of perhaps looking more at, uh, you know, what's happening in populations, we spoke, uh, I can't even remember uh, if it was earlier this podcast or our last podcast, but there was snippets mentioned about the Mediterranean diet and olive yeah, oil. But when, when, people, when we talk about saturated fats, the one thing I think about that keeps coming back to me is the French paradox. You know, uh, I'm, it's you know that they 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 drink wine, they drink coffee, they have cheese, a lot of it. You know, they're, they're white bread. Desserts for with most meals, and um, and I remember a French woman being interviewed once and talking about this, and um, she said that the waiter came and said, "Oh, you'll you'll love this uh, dessert. It's sinful, as if it's like you know, it's it's so good, it's 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 bad to eat this sort of thing." And it's like, well, what are you talking about? And it's all about community. It's all about culture. It's all about sitting down and making meal an event. That it becomes, you know, it's like you said earlier, you know, it's it's the whole, which is not just the sum of the parts. There's so much more to the food thing than just the micronutrients. And uh, you know, if if we're eating butter and and in that kind of an environment, you know, it, it's got to be nothing but good for you. And again, I mean, those longevity studies show that you know that, that social engagement is an important part of. Of a long living in life, isn't it? Absolutely. What now, is it, what is it? The question comes back to what is it that you're wanting to achieve with your food? Like, if you think that eating healthy and having green smoothies every single day is going to help you live longer, it's it's unlikely that you're correct. Um, but if you wanted to live a better quality of life um, and you're not stressed about having green smoothies every single day, then that's probably a really good thing to do. But the ceremony of the preparation mm. and the gathering that occurs when you have a meal with people. And the conversation, like mm. not being on Twitter or Facebook or InstaFamous or whatever it is that you're going to be doing, um, you know, if, if you're actually engaging in conversation, that's far more remedial and far better for you than uh, than trying to go for a whole organic and with the best preparation. Yeah, it's a great, fantastic summary of it. Um, now, there's whole lots of diets that have come and gone over time. What, uh, what are we up to this time? Well, 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 I think the one that we're up to this time has been around for a little while. I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't say that it's stood the test of time, but certainly it seems to have uh, won some acclaim across a fairly broad spectrum of our, our society and also from some elements of the scientific community. Paleo. Okay, yeah. let, let's t- tell us about paleo diet. What is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, is there the something in between? Diet was, you know, fundamentally... Um, um, I suppose I want to say discovered by an anthropo- uh, anthropologist, uh, Lauren Cordain. Um, and I met Lauren, we were both um, presenting at a seminar about six years ago, uh, just as polio was kind of entering Australia. And we presented both at a seminar and I was up there talking about, um, you know, the benefits of gluten-free and he was up there talking about the benefits of no grain at all. And uh, and so I listened, to, you know, intently to try and understand what he was talking about. But And what he spoke about there was that, you know, our paleo ancestors didn't actually eat um, grain and that 
that if we consumed grain and things like goji berries and salicylates and all those sorts of things, then we're going to be at massively increased risk of autoimmune diseases. And, uh, and so he, he drew all these links um, between um, the Paleolithic lifestyle and longevity um, because of the absence of disease. But there was ignorance given to, in my opinion, ignorance given to the fact that a lot of these paleo people didn't live past 30-something. So we don't really hmm. know whether or not they had heart disease. or and, and there is, in fact, evidence now that the paleo people did have heart disease and sometimes did develop cancers. So we're now seeing that. But in the studies and in all of the first five to six years with Rob Wolf and Lauren Cordain and even to some extent Mark Sisson in his early days when they were talking about paleo and primal, um, there was the suggestion that the removal of all grain from the body and from the diet was the safest way to go. And, uh, and in, it, in itself, it, it promoted a really healthy way to eat, which is more vegetables, good quality proteins and good quality fats. But it just got taken a little bit too far. So all of a sudden, because you could get a paleo dessert, that dessert was now healthy for you. Mm. All of a sudden, because coconuts um, were, have been around since Paleolithic times and um, and they contain saturated fat, and there was a link drawn to medium-chain triglycerides, even though coconuts don't contain much medium-chain triglyceride at all. Th- there was this link then to the healthful benefits of, of coconut, but it, it gave ignorance again to bloodlines. You know, So mm. Paul, for example, coming from Italy, would have been probably more likely to be exposed to olive oil as opposed to coconut oil through his bloodline. I'm just saying. Correct. Anthony <laughs> Coxon, you know, where, is that... Is that Somewhere from the United Kingdom? Probably, yeah, from Coxwain. I'm sure somewhere back there <laughs> we, we used to be sh- shipmen of some sort. So, yes, <laughs> just just cold, cold weather and miserable weather probably. Like Potatoes. Know, <laughs> yeah, grandmother's grandmother's grandmother never saw a coconut plant <laughs> in her whole life. Oh, definitely not. And so the premise to which coconuts have become um, world famous for being paleo and paleo then um, suggesting that anything paleo is then healthy for you um, it ignores all evolutionary cycles um, through the generations. And so we now see that people who are following a paleo lifestyle um, but are from an Irish or a, 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 a British Caucasian um, background don't respond as well as someone who has grown up in, a, in maybe a, a more robust um, saturated fat sort of environment. So th- there's, you've got to consider more than, than just ancestry and being paleo. I'm cautious of paleo, let's put it that way. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Everything in moderation, I guess. Yeah, look, I still eat rice. You know, there's billions of people on the planet. In fact, you know, the strongest economies in the world um, combined. If you look at India and and China, Mm. uh, or India and Asia, let's just take it bigger, um, which is, what, three quarters of the world's population. Uh, They all eat rice. And I can tell you they're not dying fast. Yep. Certainly certainly not. They're breeding fast. Yes. (laughs) They're expanding. Now, David, as we sort of come to the conclusion here, if you can possibly go through some foods, just on a general guideline sort of perspective, it's very hard to customise a nutrition food plan, we know. Uh, But for our audience, are there maybe five foods that you consider that should be there as primary sort of food intakes and maybe five foods to avoid, generally speaking? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll put it into classes and categories. I think um, and it's really easy for the foods to include in your diet because all fruits should be in your diet and all vegetables should be in your diet. All good quality proteins should be in your diet, whether it be veg- vegetarian-based proteins or whether it be animal-based proteins, they should be in your diet, including eggs. You know, it's really important. So I know that that's generally – like that's, 
that's very general. But there's three lots of different types of foods that, that everybody should live on. I think gluten-free grain is important. I think that, you know, including in your diet, um, gluten-free grains is, is actually quite wise. And then the other thing that I think that people should be having is nuts and seeds mm. um, because nuts and seeds deliver um, uncooked omega-6 fatty acids and uncooked omega-6 fatty acids are actually slightly anti-inflammatory, which is hugely beneficial for people. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the presumption that because it's omega-6 it's bad um, is... is False. It's only when omega six has been heated that it becomes challenging to the body, and so I love you know having raw nuts and seeds in my diet as well. So they're the five things that I, I recommend that people do. Yeah. When it comes to the things that you should avoid, I would definitely one hundred percent always avoid rice bran oil, canola oil, and heat extracted chemical extracted oils for cooking. I, I, I always avoid those oils because they they're not good for our body. Um, the other thing that I like to avoid is soft drink. I don't think that's wise. Uh, and essentially it comes down to then uh, avoiding anything with added numbers and, and all that sort of thing. There is a sweetener that's on the market that I think we should all be aware of. Um, and I like the idea of using stevia. I don't like the idea of using a white stevia. Stevia as a plant is green and very bitter and sweet. Uh, but stevia in the sachets uh, of a white powder um, is not necessarily healthful yes it's sweet um but the challenge is that it still engages you know the sweet centers within our brain so we're still going to be craving sweet food so i like to stay away from those processed sugars even though they say that they're 100 natural i think that they're they're not ideal um i'd also uh, avoiding large amounts of alcohol i think that too much alcohol is is challenging when i look at the icarines they drink a couple of glasses of wine a day um, they're living to over 100. I think a couple of glasses is about right. But when I hear people say I drink five or six beers a night, that's not too bad, is it? Um, I'm thinking that's a bit of a concern. So they're, they're the things that I'd avoid. Fantastic. All right. Well, look, I reckon this is going to be a podcast, this one and the last one, that yeah. uh, people are going to want to play a couple of times just to get all this information because it's been very detailed. But, you know, you've done a great job on presenting uh, what is a complex issue and made it really entertaining for us and mm-hmm. I'm sure for our back chat listeners. And, boy, there's a lot of really good information in there. Maybe in, um, fi- finally is you could give us three take-home messages, Damo, if you wanted to – out of all this great information you give it, you've given us what are the three top points that you want people to really take home with them yeah i reckon stress less about your food i I think you know keep it really simple i think it's really important so stress less keeping it simple Uh, i think cook less so don't cook as much um, but make sure you prepare your food and and enjoy eating food with your friends and family i think they're the three things so when you're cooking less but preparing more that's a good thing stress less and um and eat with your friends and family i think that's the key that's fantastic. Great advice. Well, Anthony, let's review. I mean, we've gone through macronutrients. We've gone through micronutrients. We've talked about uh, GM foods. We've talked about sports nutrition. We've talked about protein powders. We've talked about sports drinks. We've talked about beverages, generally speaking. We've talked about omega-3 fatty acids. We've talked about food sensitivities. We've talked There's about a lot gluten. there. There's a lot there. He's done very well, hasn't he? So, look. Uh, Damien, that's fantastic. I mean, what can we say? That's uh, an amazing amount of information you've sent us. But can you share with us a personal experience? You know, we, we like to end the podcast by looking at the talent that we've interviewed. And, you know, we, we know there's sometimes a significant event in their life that's transgressed, that's, that's moved them forward and been challenging. And uh, for our back check listeners, would you like, could you share with us anything personal along those sort of lines? 
boys, um, there's so many events that I, from a life event perspective, every single life event that I've had, I've learned from, which has been great. And even to the extent of, you know, recently, only early last or late last year, I learned again. So you continue to learn all the time. For me, the most pivotal thing for me around nutrition um, in the last 20 years has been the understanding that food, as much as it's important to reduce the incidence of disease, does not necessarily imply longevity. And uh, and I want to live a long time and be very happy with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm much more relaxed around my food. I enjoy my food. I still use food to decrease the risk of disease, but I'm much happier doing it uh, with a lot less stress. And I think that that's more likely to keep me living a long time. Than, uh, than chasing oligomeric-proanthocyanidins uh, <laughs> Or even saying that word for that matter. <laughs> Those scientists come in again, I tell you. Uh, fantastic, Damien. Thank you so much for tonight. And for more information about Damien, his events, and all that he does with his podcast, Triple M, and other media uh, events, visit www.damienchristoph.com. And for more information on his incredibly nutritious and super yummy breakfast cereal that we sell oh, and we you eat. sell. Oh, it's fantastic. Forage, it's and terrific. We eat too. We eat and consume. <laughs> Visit www.foragesealed.com. Thanks again, Damien. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been awesome. Good on you, Damo. Excellent. Thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Backchat Podcasts. All relevant web- website links of today's show will be on our Backchat Podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat Podcast. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.